You're listening to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast, powered by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce and regional leaders like Bemis Associates. Let's make amazing. Why should your business be a member of the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce? It's actually quite simple. The Chamber is dedicated to protecting and promoting the local business community. Our primary goals? To advance the region, help business owners network and grow, and to advocate on behalf of the business community. Joining the Chamber makes good business sense. We invite you to join the nationally recognized North Central Massachusetts Chamber today. Call 978-353-7600 or visit northcentralmass.com. Hello and welcome to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast. Travis Condon, my co-host Kat Deal from the Chamber, joining us today. We are actually in the Chamber conference room and we are joined by Tara Rivera. She is the treatment advocate with Recovery Centers of America over in Westminster. Tara, thank you so much for being a part of the program today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, glad to have you in the Chamber. It's nice to be in the Chamber today. It is. We're uh, on the road, but just actually, this should be the down the hall podcast. Down the hall today. podcast today. <laughs> so, Tara, I know you've been with Recovery Centers of America pretty much since it first started up in, mm-hmm. in Westminster. Can you tell us how long it's been in the community now? Actually, this month, October, is six years that uh, RCA Westminster opened their doors and began taking patients. I joined staff November 2016. So next month will be six years for me at RCA. And for you, what's it been like to see RCA's presence grow in the community and its impact in the community over the past six years? It's been amazing. I think um, it's just given me an opportunity to just be out in the community having, you know, obviously people don't like it in their backyard, right? But because it's in our backyard, it gives us an opportunity to have those doors open for conversations. Um, You know, people are able to recover in the community in which they live, which is, you know, we always encourage people to do that. Um, So it's, it's been really great to see um, the growth. Um, I think we've come a long way since we opened our doors. It's, uh, it's never easy in the beginning. If I, you know, sit and talk to some coworkers and we talk about like the early days, we're like, oh my goodness, remember when this and that, and you know, you, you learn and you grow right by making mistakes. So I always tell people to be cautious when they're thinking about or talking about new businesses as they open, right? Because there's gotta be a grace period. Um, it's just not easy. You have to kind of figure out, you know, um, where, you know, where your deficits are and, you know, where your strengths are and how you can kind of fill those. So I think that we have come a long way. Um, We've developed some really great specialty programs um, based off of what our patients' needs are, and those have changed and evolved over the years. Um, But currently we have an LGBTQ plus program, uh, which is very popular. We have a first responders program specifically uh, for first responders, veterans, police officers, firefighters, EMTs. And then we also have a frontline staff program that we developed a little over a year ago, probably right around maybe six months into COVID. We realized we were getting a lot of nurses and social workers, case managers, um, just frontline staff because they were exhausted uh, due to what was happening with COVID-19. So um, we have that program now as well too. And we have um, an evolutions program for folks that are over 50 because um, we find that that's kind of, you know, they sit in a group with younger folks that maybe have opioid use disorder and they can't relate as well. Um, so it's just really cool to see um, how we've grown and really kind of met the needs of those that we serve. You know, it's interesting to to hear that the programs have developed over time. And you mentioned the frontline folks coming in. How did your programs change when COVID happened? 
in my opinion, you know, we all heard about, oh, it was wine's day every day when COVID hit and, you know, everybody's recycling cans were filled with bottles and cans. So, and, and at that time, you know, there's a pandemic and everything is shutting down. So mm. what did you guys have to do to keep going during that? Because the protocols, medical protocols alone changed. It's, it's ironic because I actually saw a commercial yesterday. Um, it was kind of like a documentary about COVID and it was, it showed a lot of first responders, um, nurses and doctors after they take their mask off, they would have that line across their, um, the bridge of their nose. And, you know, at one point at RCA, we never shut down, um, because addiction never sleeps. Right. Um, so we never shut down. We put, you know, extreme protocols in place in the very beginning. I remember one point I was going in the building with, um, you had to have eye covering, you had to have your mouth covered. Um, there was, you know, different phases of like N95s and then we could just go to surgical masks and all of that. Um, we as employees are still wearing sur surgical masks. Um, our patients come in, they get tested for COVID. If they're negative, they don't have to wear a mask. Um, so the patients can kind of feel free to roam about uh, without the mask, which is, you know, they appreciate our staff still have to wear masks. Um, but the numbers are so low that it, it really hasn't been an issue. But during COVID, I primarily worked from home because I'm a community-based um, employee. And I used to tell everybody, oh, you guys are all like superheroes to me. You know, I was scared to leave my house, you know, the first 90 days, six months of COVID. And Every single employee went into that building every single day. And I just, I'm like, you guys all should be applauded. You know, they knew that our patients needed them and they showed up and, you know, they put themselves and their families at risk every day to do so, as well as obviously our nurses and doctors. And um, so I was always very, very proud of our staff for doing that. We didn't skip a beat, you know. And you talk about the first responder programs. And I think this kind of goes back to the, the change over those six years in terms of the stigma around addiction. If you look at those groups, even several years ago, it was very taboo to talk about the fact that those individuals could even be suffering from addiction or dealing with addiction. And then do I lose my career? Do I lose my pension? I can't get this treated. I have to just hide it away. How has that conversation changed around these groups? It's changed uh, tremendously and, and, and for the better. I just had a conversation about a week or so ago um, with a first responder um, from the Department of Corrections, and they were saying that, you know, they've even noticed um, a transition, if you will, from the behavior of their correctional officers, you know, not wanting to acknowledge there was any mental health issues or substance use issues. And now when they're offered that support, um, they're open to having those conversations, admitting that they need that support, appreciating that that support is there where five years ago it would have been like, no, thanks, we're good. We don't need that. Um, so we are making strides. I think that we still need to continue making more strides. Obviously, there's always room for improvement. Um, I think our first responders more specifically because they're the ones that are you know supposed to run in when we're running out. Mm -hmm. So for them to admit that they need help has been really challenging, but I think over the last several years, especially since COVID, our focus on mental health um, and self-care has given them the opportunity to say, yeah, it's okay to not be okay. Um, and, and if we don't take care of ourselves, then how are we going to be able to help other people, right? So it's almost like when the airplane's going down, the masks come down. You got to put the mask on yourself first before you can help the person next to you. Um, so we've been kind of sending that message and hearing that message, I think, since covid um, and I've seen a kind of a, a shift a little bit in, in, in those, I think, 
perspectives of our first, first responders more specifically, but in general, the you know general population as well. And I know RCA is often present when there are overdose awareness events in the, the different cities around here in the different communities. Uh, when there are community health events, we see the RCA table spreading this information about these services that are out there, how you can help people who are dealing with addiction. How important is that outreach? And are you finding more people willing to come up and say, hey, I need help or my daughter or my son needs help or my neighbor? Yeah, um, more so than it, it was six years ago, right? So I'm seeing a shift in that as well. People will come up to the table and I always put my business card on the table. So if there tends to be a lot of people around and you, someone doesn't want to maybe ask a personal question, um, I can usually tell by looking at someone's face that they have a question and they want to talk to me. And if I don't have a free moment to give them my undivided attention, I'll say, you know, grab my card and, you know, feel free to call me, text me, email me. Um, and I always tell people I'm a judgment-free zone and there's probably nothing you're going to say to me that I haven't already heard. Um, and I've experienced a lot of it myself, right? Whether it's, you know, my own personal struggles with addiction or watching my brother struggle for 20 years with their addictions. Um, and realistically, I just, I want to help. And I know that if I have any kind of negative connotation whatsoever, it's not going to be an open door for people. Um, so I've always just been very open. I feel approachable. Um, being able to be out in the community, I, ironically enough, talking to our seniors has been um it's, I think, on the rise, right? So last week, I think we did a senior, um, a health fair for the Gardner Senior Center. It was at the Waterford Street School, and we had over 100 vendors there. Um, there was a handful of um, those of us that work in the substance use field, which five years ago you wouldn't have seen at a, you know, a senior health fair. Um, and those tables were highly visited. You know, people have a lot of questions, you know, their grandkids are struggling or they're raising their grandkids, you know, so they want to have the conversations. They want those resources. Um, so that's been a shift as well. And it's been really nice to see that. That's an interesting shift where you, you have, um, you're at a fair, you're at a senior fair, and that's the first time you've, you've seen that. But like you said, you know, things change during COVID and a lot of, you know, families dynamics changed and a lot of people were spending more time together. And I would assume that that impacted other people looking at their family members saying, this might not be manageable any longer. So you've obviously made changes in your programming. What is all of the programming that you do in person or do you have programming that's done online? It's a great question. So obviously our inpatient treatment is in person, right? So people come in to RCA, whether it's our Westminster location or Danvers location, um, they do detox, which is usually five to seven days. And then they complete our CSS program, um, which is another seven, 14 days. So inpatient, they're usually 21 to 28 days maybe. Um, but then we do have a PHP IOP program. So they can continue on with us in our outpatient program. And the outpatient program is in-person, it can be virtual or you can choose a hybrid model. So we offer all three um, and then we do days and we do evenings and we do Saturdays, which, you know, makes it really accessible for people. Um, and then post that even we have our alumni association. So people are encouraged to stay connected with us and we do alumni events, maybe quarterly, whether it's a paint night or karaoke night. Um, just, you know, having fun sober is, you know, is good and even with COVID, people are excited about getting back out there and doing things. So um, that's been really nice, too, to be able to connect in that way with people. And that's not the only way that you connect with 
the folks out there. You have also, you have a Facebook live event that you do. You want to tell us about that? Yes. Yes. Um, so, and I love my Facebook live. It's, it's funny because I say I love everything about my job. So it's a really <laughs> good place to be after six years to, to, you know, I mean, I, sh- I have my days where I'm just kind of like, okay, I could use a day off, right. Or a long weekend or something like that. But I really love everything that I get to do. It's very different every single day, but um, we do a Facebook live recovery reading um, every day. We just started doing it every day now. So it's seven days a week on the RCA alumni Facebook page. So previously we were doing it on just the RCA corporate Facebook page, which is out of Pennsylvania. Um, and they have since pivoted and decided to attach that to the alumni page. It makes a little bit more sense um, to have that there. And so that is um, a live reading with a different person every day, seven days a week. I get to do Mondays. Um, so I go on Mondays at 10 o'clock and I get to read. Um, I usually read from AA text. I read from NA text. And then I also read from two spiritually based books because um, for me, God's a big part of my recovery. Um, so I kind of give people a little bit of everything. So if they prefer one over the other, they get kind of a little bit of everything. I get to expose them to other things maybe that they're not used to being exposed to. So um, that's probably a- another one of my favorite things to do at RCA. <laughs> and for you, what's it like to be able to extend that impact Impact far beyond North Central Massachusetts to really nationwide because people from recovery centers all across the country are tuning into this. Yes, they are. And that is exciting. I think at first it was a little nerve wracking, right? I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know these people, but it's also kind of a, a sense of relief, you know, because I don't have to see everybody in the grocery store when I go. Um, so I have friends now all over the place, um, whether it's Pennsylvania or New Jersey or New York, Chicago. We have people logging on from all over. Um, and it's just, it's nice. It's a little kind of family environment. When I log on, I see, you know, Susie and I see John and, you know, all the people I'm used to seeing every every single Monday. Um, and it helps me in my recovery too, you know, just to kind of bring it back to basics and to remind myself that I need to, you know, I need to work the program because if I don't do that, I will eventually lose what I've built, right? So um, being able to kind of give back is, is a big part of, you know, being sober. So, And I think that's such a great advantage that you're providing, you know, what a benefit that you're providing um, folks who are on the other side of recovery um, or who are still going through recovery and it's a, it's a day-by-day process and what a great community you're building for that. And, you know, Travis was mentioning earlier about the fact that you're at a lot of community events. You're always a public. I want to say that um, I love the fact that you're right on route two, mm-hmm. that you're very highly visible and whether it's in your backyard or not, it just you see, I see it twice a day minimum when I drive to work and when I drive home. And I love the fact that you have such a great presence because of the good work you're doing and, and that it is open 24 seven, which the lights are always on. I've never mm-hmm. seen the lights off there. Um, so with your community outreach, do you find that when you go into the community, when you go into general community, not necessarily a senior fair or something that's more specific that you, you know, you, you said that you, you kind of can tell the folks that, that might have a question. Have you seen an increase of people that are not only just coming in, but that are just outreach, just the, just saying, I, I might need help. Like, is that increasing in the communities? Because like you said earlier, the stigma is not what it used to be, yeah. right? Finding help, the generation that is behind my generation and the generation behind that generation are so in tuned with mental health and healthcare issues. I feel like your outreach in the community and your community exposure must 
be having such a positive effect on folks. And I, I would assume that the increase is there. It is. Um, and it's, it's as I'm listening to you say that I'm thinking, I'm reflecting back to 2016 when I started working at RCA. And when I first got the job at RCA, I didn't tell them I was in recovery. Um, I was just turning, I was just going into my 20th year um, sober. And I, I remember thinking to myself, like, I want to get the job based on my skill set and not the fact that, you know, I'm a person in recovery. Um, and, and, you know, I, I got sober in 1997. Back then, it was very much an anonymous program. I didn't know a lot of people's last names that I went to, you know, 12-step meetings with. And um, so it, it was, a, it took a big step for me to be able to kind of go public, if you will, with my recovery. And I remember when I hit my 20 years, I started in November with RCA, hit my 20 years in, in January. And I had put this big Facebook post out there and it was my like moment. And I, you know, I said, hey, I'm 20 years sober and this is kind of where I came from and this is what I'm doing for work now. And I want this to be a judgment-free zone. And if anybody has any questions or concerns or has, you know, has someone that they love that's struggling or if they're struggling with themselves, here's my number. And I continue to do that to this day. And it was almost like when I ripped that Band-Aid off, and then you couldn't kind of shut me up after that because people were coming and asking me questions and asking me for help. And it felt so good to be able to give back in that way and to help other people feel less shame about asking for help. It was just kind of like it fed me to continue to do what I do. So. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back right here on the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast. Travis Condon, Cat Deal, and our guest today, Tara Rivera from the Recovery Centers of America in Westminster. The business world is more competitive than ever, and running a business has never been more challenging. The North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce is here to help with trusted resources, a strong business network, and a support system to keep your business and North Central Massachusetts moving forward. We invite you to join the nationally recognized North Central Massachusetts Chamber today. Call 978-353-7600 or visit northcentralmass.com. Welcome back to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast. Travis Condon, Cat Deal, both from the North Central Massachusetts Chamber. We're joined today by Tara Rivera, the treatment advocate over at the Recovery Centers of America in Westminster. So for listeners who are hearing this right now and hearing about your journey towards sobriety and and you said it's you know, it's ongoing does it ever end or is it always work it is always work and it's funny because I can tell you there's different periods of time in my recovery you know I, I did 12-step meetings probably for like the first five years and then year five to ten like I was more kind of involved in church and so like throughout the years I've done different things and I love talking to other people about what they're doing for their recovery because it looks different for everybody 20 years ago, it was you go to meetings and that was pretty much it. Um, and now we can do all kinds of things to kind of help with the self-care and, you know, work through that trauma. Um, so I think since year 20, since I started working in RCA, I've been really focused on um, that childhood trauma and really kind of working through some of that stuff and using EMDR therapy and different things like that. And so I find for me, it's almost like an onion right? Like in the very beginning, the first few years, you're just, you're, you're a success if you do not pick up a substance and that's all you need to focus on. 
just don't pick up a substance and you need to worry about, you know, getting a job, losing a job, finding a place to live, possibly losing a place to live, you know, all of those kind of life changing things sober. So the first one to three years is really just kind of getting your, you know, your ground firm underneath you. And then, you know, you start kind of developing a little bit more and focusing on more things and, you know, life happens. And so I think that we shouldn't ever stop evolving and looking at ourselves and finding ways in which that we can improve, right? Like very beginning early sobriety, I prayed for the obsession to be removed for a drink and a drug. And it was, I never struggled with, I really wish I could get high today. Or I really wish I could have a drink today. Um, I kick myself at weddings because I can't just like toast and have champagne with people because, you know, I abused it. Um, but I don't want it or crave it, right? That was never kind of an issue. But over the years, I've dealt with different, you know, childhood issues and becoming a mom was a, was kind of a big trigger, right? Because it brings up my own childhood stuff. And I used to tell my daughter like, oh, you know, I tuck you in and I read you bedtime stories. I do all these things with you. My mom didn't do that with me. And she would say, well, how do you know how to do it with me? And I'm like, well, I don't know. God teaches me, you know, like I'm, I do I do what I wanted done for me, but I didn't have that done for me. So I think each phase of our life and season of our life, different things are going to come up that we need to work on. Um, so it's just always a journey. I don't think we ever really arrive. You mentioned earlier that um, no one's recovery journey looks the same. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, no one's treatment looks the same. So I'm just curious, what options for treatment do you offer at RCA? I think it's very um, important for people to be able to know that it's not all just a one and done because yeah. I know that you have multiple options. Yeah, we do. Um, so for people that are, you know, working, we have a lot of folks that have, you know, full-time jobs, have careers, have families, but are struggling with substances and they can't put, you know, seven days aside or 21 days aside to come inpatient treatment um, so they can start with outpatient. And they could do our IOP, which is three days a week. They could do a PHP, which is five days a week. Um, and then they can transition down into just general outpatient therapy and kind of still stay connected with us for up to two to three years post, you know, post the beginning of their um, treatment. But I always tell people that treatment with us is just step one. And when you leave our doors, that's when the real work begins. You know, it's it's quote unquote, easy to stay sober when you're in a confined environment and there is no access to alcohol or drugs, right? And then you you leave and all of a sudden now it's a decision you have to make. You know, it's do I pick that up or do I not pick that up? Do I walk away? Do I show up at that birthday party? You know, all of those kind of decisions that you have to make when you first get sober, it's a lot. What kind of supports does RCA um, provide to help folks with that decision-making after they finish their treatment plan? in Westminster or Danvers? Yeah, great question. So usually, um, obviously staying staying connected to the alumni um, page on Facebook and to our just our alumni groups in general is helpful. Um, so we do, like I said, the IOP, PHP, and then general outpatient therapy. So once they complete those programs, they um, can still meet with their therapist once a week if they want, um, once every other week. Um, and we, while they're in treatment with us, we do a lot of, um, skill building, right? So when they leave their toolbox, they have some tools already in place, you know, so we talk to them about relapse prevention. We talk to them about the 12 steps. We offer them multiple pathways to recoveries. You know, not everybody likes the 12 steps. So we kind of expose them to everything. Um, and then when they leave, they already kind of have an idea of what to expect and what's available on the outside for supports. Um, and they always know that they can come back to us for anything at any time. 
Um, so whether they reach out during, you know, with, with our Facebook page on the, you know, with the alumni, or they could call and talk to their therapist or case manager that they connected with while they were, you know, inpatient treatment with us. We are all very much proactive in staying a support in any way, shape or form for anybody that comes through RCA. And how hard is it for folks to make that first step to get through those doors? And how frustrating is it for you know family members who may be trying to convince them but can't get that person to make that decision? Yeah, um, it's tough. It's tough even as a treatment advocate. You know, there's multiple people that I've worked with that, you know, they've realized they have a problem, but you know, they're not done trying this, that, or the other thing to see if they can kind of get it under control on their own. Um, so it's really challenging. I mean, even as my, I, my brother struggled, you know, I was like, you guys really need to do X, Y, and Z. Neither of them ended up doing what I recommended, but they're both sober today, you know? So, um, like everyone has their own pathway. So it is challenging. And what I tell people is that they need to understand that their loved one's brain's been hijacked. When they're in active addiction and, and they're, you know, actively using or drinking, they're not who they used to be. You know, their brain isn't functioning the way that it once functioned. Um, so, and they're sick and they're dependent on those substances. So it's hard for them to make healthy choices. So I always recommend getting like a recovery coach involved. Um, somebody other than the family member themselves, just kind of an independent person to support um, the their loved one and just kind of, you know, be able to come alongside them and say, oh, see, you did this and, you know, maybe we could, if we did this, it might've worked out a little bit differently and kind of get them to look at, you know, the behaviors and the, you know, cause and effect type thing and get to a place where they understand they need the help and, and are ready to accept that help. You just mentioned that the families are involved and, and what support do you offer for the families? Another great question. So we, we do offer quite a bit for the families. Um, so while they're in patient treatment with us, we include the families as much as we possibly can. So they'll come in for family sessions or they'll Zoom for family sessions. Of course, the patient has to sign the confidentiality, you know, the all of that wonderful paperwork. If they don't sign the paperwork, we can't do any of that, which, you know, is challenging because we know that more people are the the more successful they are, it's usually family involvement or friends involvement, the support. Um, so we do a lot while they're inpatient with us. And then we, we have, um, CEUs available and, and different, um, I don't want to say podcasts, but different types of, um, support available on the RCA website. And then we also just developed a monthly support group for family members of first responders. So it's just, you have to register. It's kind of like this covert, you know, not, it's not like the link isn't out there readily available um, because we have to make sure obviously that you are a family member of someone that is a first responder. Um, but we have the, the program manager of our first responder unit, Tony Jones, um, facilitates that once a month and it's free for family members that either their loved one went through RCA or maybe they haven't gotten help yet. And so we're kind of coaching them in terms of, you know, how to set boundaries, how to love but not enable, you know, those types of things. So we do quite a bit for families, which is which is nice. I'm, I'm grateful that we're able to offer that. When we talk about community involvement, um, how is the relationship with, you know, recovery centers in general and, and folks that do this kind of work change with police departments? Because I know that for a while, you know, there was the perception that if someone's on drugs, lock them up, throw them in jail. Mm -hmm. But it seems like there's more of a, hey, let's 
figure out what's going on here. Let's get these people on a path to sobriety. Let's deal with the underlying mental health issues or whatever else. How has that relationship changed in the community? And what do you think still needs to be done on that front? Great question. So I would have to say that I think, um, you know, we have a drug court here in Fitchburg and our, our drug mm-hmm. court judge is absolutely amazing. Um, and our, you know, Fitchburg Police Department, you know, Chief Martineau has been unbelievable, always at the table for conversations like these, very, very progressive and supportive of all of the work that we do in the community. Um, obviously, our CAs in Westminster, we have a really great relationship with Westminster Police and um, Fire Department. Um, so I get quite a few calls, believe it or not, from police officers in all of, you know, kind of North Central Mass whether they um, have a family that they've been working with in town that, you know, maybe needs help. I've, I've coached some officers on things to say and how to ask the question. I've given my phone number out, you know, say to a different, you know, officers, if you are, you know, working with someone and you think they may, you know, need some help, you can just offer my phone number and, you know, you don't have to have that conversation if you don't feel like equipped to have that conversation. But I have really great rapport. I'm grateful to say um, with a lot of our local law enforcement um, agencies in North Central Mass, and they all are very supportive of the work that we do um, in Westminster. More specifically, I mean, has dropped off. I can't tell you in the last six years how many patients to us mm-hmm. and, you know, personally put them in their cruiser and like bring them right down to Westminster. So, um, they're, they're pretty amazing and it's definitely a paradigm shift from, I would say even, you know, 10 years ago, right. Or even five years ago. Um, but now it's, it's the, they understand that if they haven't committed a, a crime, right, they're not dealing a crazy amount of drugs and, Maybe they're just, you know, drunk and disorderly or something like that. They see that now as a red flag and they know that they need to get that person help. So whether they connect them to a local peer recovery center or they contact me and I kind of can connect with them and give them some resources, there's a lot of that happening, which is really nice to see. That is, I love the fact that you're saying such positive things about the relationship with the police department because they, they're, they're the front line, right? They're the ones that are going to see it. The, the thing is, is the laws are shifting, right? Mm-hmm. So things are all changing. And, you know, in the 50s, your doctor told you to smoke and drink. You know, yeah. that was okay. So, you know, we have a whole generation of people that are looking for the help. And I and the idea that the police are not necessarily saying that this person needs to be incarcerated right away. Are you seeing that as a positive shift in terms of the people that they bring in? Are they coming back more? Um, do they stay? You know, that yeah. the idea that help is available is that... I would love to think that that's a really positive shift that people understand that, you know, this is just help. We're here to help. Yeah, I do. So when you, you were talking, I kind of, another kind of piece of that came into my mind is we do have a section 35 unit at our RCA Danvers location, which is forced treatment, right? So in order for someone to get a section 35, they a loved one needs to go to a court system and petition and say that, the, you know, the patient is in risk, danger of, you know, themselves or, you know, hurting someone else. And they get a section 35. And at that point, the police get a warrant they have to apprehend the person. And so that can become challenging, right? Because technically they are there to help, but they have to put the person in handcuffs. They have to put them in the back of the car. It's a very um, traumatic experience, if you will. Um, so that. It's interesting because from a policing perspective, 
um, they have an awful lot of challenges that they have to deal with, you know, trying to figure out like, is this, is this criminal? Is this like a, you know, substance use or mental health? And, you know, that's a whole paradigm shift for them in general, just, you know, from how they operated 10, 15 years ago. Um, so I think that, I think that in general, the stigma between those that struggle with substance use disorder and law enforcement has improved. Um, and I think that, you know, we obviously there's always room for improvement. Um, I've seen it get better. It could continue to get better. I think there's always going to be um, people's perceptions that won't change because they have personal experience with someone that struggled with addiction. Um, so they'll kind of still be, doesn't matter if I tell them it's a disease or anything, they just have that in the back of their mind. It was like their grandfather, their husband, their wife, whatever the case may be. And they're like, you know, they're all the same. Those people, I can't change everybody. Um, but I have to say, you know, there are those few, but for the most part, I've seen a really great paradigm shift in general with law enforcement and those that struggle, struggle with substance use disorder. And we also talk about that shift in the community as well, uh, more folks coming up to your tables. If folks haven't seen you out in the community, but they're looking for more information on RCA, on Recovery Centers of America, whether it's the Westminster location or the Danvers location, where can they go? Yeah, so they can always go to recoverycentersofamerica.com, which is our website. Uh, the nice thing about the website is it's just chock full of information and resources for people in addition to um, virtual tours of the building, which is kind of neat. You know, the buildings are very different. Uh, Wachusett, um, Westminster is in the old Wachusett Village Inn, you know, so it's kind of like an old ski lodge. It's really rustic. It's very homey. Danvers is in the old Hunt Hospital, you know, so when you walk into an RCA facility, it doesn't matter if it's in Massachusetts or New Jersey or Maryland, Pennsylvania, we, you can recognize it, right? It has like the signature look to it, but all the buildings are very different and unique in the communities in, in which they are, they are, are very unique. And RCA is a really great way of kind of bringing that into kind of the buildings. Um, and it really, it's helpful because when you're comfortable you're in your environment, you're going to engage in treatment more. Um, so people can go to recoverycentersofamerica.com. They can get information about both Westminster Danvers, our inpatient, our outpatient, and they can get those resources that I was talking about as well for families and loved ones that are struggling. And in addition to your weekly um, Facebook Live on the alumni Facebook page, you also host a podcast and you have a radio show uh, here locally in Fitchburg on WPKZ Radio. How can listeners access those that content as well? Yeah, so thank you for saying that. It's kind of funny because I think, how do I fit all of this into the course of my life? But I do, and I enjoy doing it. So the podcast can be found at the recoverycentersofamerica.com website, backslash podcasts. And the Recovery Radio Hour, we do the first Tuesday of every month from 12 to 1 on WPKZ. So they can stream it live on WPKZ.net if they're not local. If they're local, it's 105.3 FM and AM 1280. Um, so they can listen to it live as well. And I also post um, the recordings on my LinkedIn. So I always, every time I meet new people, I try to add them to my LinkedIn. Um, and I'm constantly posting content on my LinkedIn as well. Any type of recovery resource that I can find, I share. Now, someone's listening right now and they're struggling and you had the opportunity to kind of give them one nugget or one push to try and get them help. And I know this is a really tough question. Is there something you would like to say to them? I would say um, don't give up and you're not alone. Uh, one thing that I've learned throughout the years is that if you speak up and say you're feeling something or you're thinking something, nine times out of 10, someone else is going to raise their hand and say, me too. 
Um, so don't feel afraid to raise your hand and ask for help or, you know, um, I always tell people, reach out to me. I've had tons of people reach out to me on Messenger, um, you know, different kind of ways like texting. I don't even have to talk to someone. We can just do it all via text if they're not comfortable doing that. Um, so we're just don't give up. And it's, you know, recovery is possible. We've been speaking with Tara Rivera, the treatment advocate over at Recovery Centers of America in Westminster. They also have a location in Danvers. Travis Condon here with the North Central Massachusetts Chamber. Cat Deal as well. I want to thank you for listening to the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast. You've been listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts. This podcast is produced by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. For more information on this episode, links to other episodes, or if you have any questions, please visit northcentralmass.com. Thank you.